0: Okay, Um, so as Riley said, we're in 1 John chapter 1 and 2 tonight. Um, I'm going to just jump right in, in the time we have remaining. Um, (coughs) Tonight's message is called rebranding. And I don't know, this is a very controversial thing, because you can divide people on a lot of topics and issues nowadays. But I feel like there's one that really gets a split. You are very passionate about one or the other. You're not like, maybe you're middle of the road, but I don't really feel like most people are middle of the road. Like, I'm passionate about one side of this issue, and I'm very, like, dead set on it. It's either Coke or it's Pepsi. Right? Like, oh, You guys are like, oh, politics. No, no, no. No. Coke or Pepsi? I'm a total Coke fan. Like, Pepsi to me is like... Dr. Pepper is a different category, people. They are, a, they, are, they are an independent, if you will, and they do their own thing, and God bless them because it's delicious. But Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi to me is brown, sparkly water. That is disgusting. I know it started here in the Carolinas, but Coke is way better. Um, except for... In the summer of 1985, I wasn't even alive yet, guys. That's how long ago this was. In the summer of 1985, for 79 days in that summer, something was wrong. Something was different. Some people think that this was the greatest marketing tactic of all time. In all of businessdom, it was the best, smartest marketing tactic ever. For 79 days, something was different. Here's what an employee at this company said. As an employee, it was an uncomfortable and almost surreal position to be in. It was like being in a bad movie for 79 days. They said that they had a customer care service hotline that had 12 employees. Over the course of the 79 days, do you know how many people they had to hire to fill in the customer care service? They had to hire 500 because they got so many complaints. For 79 days, they changed the ingredients in the formula of Coke. And they called it New Coke. And everybody thought, this is a great idea. This is going to be awesome. The people who make a lot of money at Coca-Cola thought, this is going to be awesome. They made b- marketing and they made people take this new formula of Coke out there. And you know what people said is, I hate it. I want the old Coke back. So for 79 days, you could not find old Coke. People were hoarding. They were stockpiling old Coke because they thought the new Coca-Cola brand was so trash that they didn't want to drink it, okay? So for 79 days, it was wrong. And then guess what happens? They went back to it because everybody thought, why mess with the good thing, right? Why mess with the original? And actually, what they found is that sales skyrocketed because they went back to the original and found that's what people actually wanted. They didn't want this new formula. So they went through this whole rebranding. You can see the picture on the screen. That Coke can doesn't even say Coca-Cola. It just said Coke. That was the way that they tried to brand it as the new version of the soda. It didn't take off, and it flopped miserably. It's never returned again, maybe except if you go to the Coca-Cola Museum. But in terms of rebranding, when you read First 1 John 1.10, John says something that sounds like a repeat of what we said last week, but it's a little bit different. Let me read to you what we said last week. It's not on the screen, but I'm just going to read it to you. In verse 8, he said, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now tonight, he's at verse 10, and he gets to saying, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So you have this one thing. If we say we have no sin, and if we say we have not sinned, what's the difference here? Is he just repeating himself? He's not. Because if you look in verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, who are we fooling? We're fooling ourselves. We deceive ourselves if we say that we don't have a sinful nature. That's what we talked about last week. In verse 10, he says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him, talking about God, to be a liar, and his word is not in us. What he's essentially saying here is there's a difference. If you say that you do not have a sinful nature, you're deceiving yourselves, and you are talking about the internal realities of your heart. You don't realize that your heart is deceptively wicked above all things, as Scripture tells you. In verse 10, tonight... In the verse that Riley read for us, if we say we have not sinned, what we're saying is our behavior is not really that bad and our behavior is not a problem. And therefore, we make God to be a liar. This is how it comes across. We have rebranded the way that sin comes in our lives. We've rebranded the way that we discuss it. For example, this is not a good thing to say, but adultery becomes somebody had an affair It's adultery. But that word comes with a sense of force, right? If you say, man, that person committed adultery, you are essentially saying they committed a sin. Now, it's still not a good thing to say that person's having an affair. That's a bad thing. But do you see how if somebody just says, oh, I had an affair or I committed adultery, there's a difference in the way that that comes across. Maybe that's a little too heavy. Maybe you just take this one, stealing. Stealing becomes I'm just helping myself. I just gotta, I, you know, I, the world has been against me lately. I'm just kind of getting what is owed to me. I'm just helping myself. So I'm gonna take a little bit. Selfishness becomes I'm standing up for my rights. It's a great way to cover up selfish thoughts. I'm just standing up for me. Man, I gotta protect myself. That's selfishness. Arrogance, because becomes, I just believe in myself. I'm believing in myself. That's not really a bad thing, right? You got to believe, have high self-esteem. Well, you can say that, but you can really just be covering the sin of arrogance. Nobody likes to be called arrogant, but man, we all are told all the time, believe in yourself. You see how you can rebrand bad things and make them sound a little less serious? Or maybe becoming being critical of other people, which well, a lot of people nowadays don't even think that's a sin or that's an issue. But scripture talks about, like, you should not be overly critical of your brethren. We talked about that in James last year, right? But you know, a lot of times we just say, like, I'm just keeping it real, man. I'm just being honest. I'm trying, I'm trying to be a true friend and, and speak to you in the truth and love. Now you're just like coding your sinful critical attitude with scripture. That sounds really bad. Right? Do you see how we can rebrand? bad behavior and say that's not sin that's just this stuff that's what john is saying in verse 10 you, you cannot rebrand your sin and see that it is not a serious thing when you rebrand your sin you in turn rebrand who god is at the very beginning of this we said in first john in chapter one that god is light and in him there is no darkness at all that is a true statement about god But then, if we therefore say that the way that we're acting is not sinful, it's not that bad, then what we are saying is God, his view on sin is a little too serious, it's not that bad, you have just called God a liar, you have rebranded him from a God of light in whom there is no darkness at all and have said, he's a liar, don't believe him, sin's not that bad, it's not that big a deal. Like, that's what we do when we rebrand our sin, that's why this is serious and that's why we can't rebrand who God is. Here's the other thing, just like with the Coca-Cola analogy, they rebranded the Coke can, but they also changed the ingredients and the taste inside that can of soda. If you rebrand sin and say, it's not that big a deal when I behave this way or I do these things, that started internally, by the way, what we talked about last week, and then you have these behaviors that come forward, what you've now said is, I don't really need Jesus. Hear me, because... This is the the key. Why did Jesus come? Jesus didn't come to make your life better. Jesus didn't come to be your buddy, to encourage you, just to equip you for good stuff. Those are all things that he does. But his primary purpose, he is your necessary savior because you have a sin problem that needs to be taken care of. That is the biggest need in all of our lives, is sin to be forgiven, paid for, removed. That's what we need. So if you rebrand sin and you rebrand God, you end up also changing the product. And now you've made Jesus into this basically a life coach who just comes alongside and helps you out when things are are really difficult. Rather than actually the Savior that you need to remove your sin. And also deal with some other stuff that we are going to get to at the end of this passage tonight. So if you claim you have not sinned, you remove the need for Christ altogether. These are problems. And this is the outset of 1 John in chapter 1. As he closes out the first chapter, he has tried to show us that these things cannot be true. We cannot say that we do not have sin in our hearts. And we cannot say that the things that we are doing are not sometimes sinful. We have to call it out. We've got to expose it. Last week, he showed us because we can expose those things because he will forgive us if we confess what we have done wrong. Now, the good news comes... Shortly thereafter, in verses 1 and 2 that Riley read earlier, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is why he writes it. He writes it so that we would not fall into the trap of sin. Notice, he does not say that you will cease to sin as a Christian. He says, we write these things to you as an encouragement so that you will not fall into the deceitful trap of sin. Let me just review this for you really quickly. When he says, I write these things to you, he's writing what we've already discussed in the first chapter. I'm going to highlight it for you really quickly. It's not on the screen, but I wrote these down in, my, in, my, in my own Bible, my notes, as I was studying this. He's writing so that we would know that God is light. God is both life and God is holy. He's writing to us to let us know that when we are with God, we have fellowship with him. When we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God and with his people. So we can have fellowship with God. He also wrote and told us that confession of our sin is a good thing. Why is it a good thing? Because last week we said that Christ cleanses and forgives our sin completely. So all of this is to tell us that these are good things to help keep us away from sin. Do you think about how this keeps us away from it? When I recognize that God is pure life and holiness, and if I want to walk with him, then I want to avoid doing the things that he's doing, or isn't doing, right? I want to live like him. I can walk in fellowship with him. If I notice that I'm walking in fellowship with people, then I want to treat them the way that God has treated me. That gets sin out of my life. If I confess my sin when I do mess up, it's good news to know that I'm cleansed and forgive, forgiven of that sin. These are good things that he's writing so that they would not fall into the deceitfulness of sin. And it's almost like he's saying, as other people are right now. There are other people who are falling into sin and staying there. And he doesn't want you to be stuck. He doesn't want me to be stuck. So these things are written so that we would not sin. But if you do fall, if you do have sin in your life, if you do something that is wrong, then what happens? This is an if then statement, the classic if then. It's cause and effect. So here's the cause. If sin happens, what's the effect? Then Jesus is with the Father for us. If we stumble in sin as a believer in Jesus, then Christ is with God the Father speaking on our behalf for us. That's what he means by this when he says, He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. So if we sin, we have an advocate. That's the good news. So here's, here's what he wants you to know, and here's what you guys need to know before you leave tonight. Followers of Christ, true followers of Christ, know two important things based on what I see in this passage as he kind of closes out the opening part of 1 John. Ready? True followers of Christ, first of all, know who Christ is. He is your advocate. What does that even mean, okay? The word advocate here is only ever used by John, okay? And it's used in John's gospel. And the other times that it's used in John's gospel, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about a helper. Somebody who can come alongside of you, encourage you, help you. In this context, when he's talking about an advocate, he's talking about Jesus. And what Jesus is doing is he is literally standing at the right hand of God the Father advocating on your behalf why God is not going to punish you, will not punish you, and why God should love you. And everything that he is telling him is based on what Christ did for you. Jesus isn't sitting there going, well, so here's why you need to love them today. Ready? Okay, you need to love them because they had a really good quiet time this morning. Here's why you should love them today, God the Father, because they went to church four out of four times in the month of August. That's pretty good. Hey, they did. there was one month where there were five Sundays. They went to all five. Help them out. That, that's not the kind of advocacy that, that Jesus is doing for you. What Jesus is doing is he is literally saying, their sin is paid for by me. There's no need for the righteous anger, the wrath of God to be on that sin anymore. And therefore God says, yes, I agree. They're in agreement. It's not like God, the Father, is like angry about this and he kind of (sighs) goes, you got me, Jesus. That's why you're my favorite son. You're my only son. It's not why he says that. It's not like he's like, man, I really wanted to punish them for that, but you paid for their sin, so I guess I won't. No, it's not like that at all. Jesus and God the Father are perfectly in sync here, right? They are unified on this decision where Jesus says, God, I paid for that sin you need not see it any longer. And God says, I agree. I love them. Full agreement. Jesus' love for you and Father's love for you is exactly the same. And your sin is covered by the blood of Christ when he died on the cross. That's why it's so important that you understand what Jesus did for you and who Jesus is. Hebrews 7.25 really captures this idea perfectly. It says this, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. I love this. Jesus lives. He makes a living out of this. He enjoys it. He is alive and was risen from the grave, alive right now, to intercede for you. Literally. That's like what his job is right now is one of the things that Jesus is doing in heaven is interceding for you on your, on your behalf before God the Father, saying, Sin's covered taken care of I paid for that I love them they're mine they're ours they're in our family they are your beloved son your beloved daughter that is such good news for you true followers of Christ know who Jesus is they know he is your advocate and they also know this this is the last part we're going to read tonight true followers of Christ trust what Christ has done big word in here And if you leave tonight and you want to impress your mom and dad or you just want to get brownie points with me, which probably mean nothing to you, but, you know, it's cool. Um, Propitiation. Great big word. Really funny word. Nobody uses it in a sentence anymore, but it's in the Bible, and it's a really good word. Here it is. He is the propitiation for our sins. Here's what that means. Propitiation means there was once wrath for whatever was being done, and that wrath has been paid for and satisfied. Now, here's why this is important, okay? I want you to understand this. God has a wrath over sin. Wrath is anger. God, dare I say, God hates sin. He does. He, He will punish sin. He does not overlook sin. He takes it very seriously, which is why back to verse 10 in chapter 1, we can't rebrand sin into other little things and say it's not that big a deal. God has a righteous wrath that he will pour out upon sin. This is something that in the Bible, a lot of people think that's just Old Testament. No, go read John chapter 3 where he says that if you are not in Christ, the wrath of God still lays upon you. Do you want to know what the wrath of God looks like? See Sodom and Gomorrah. See the entire world when God floods it, right? These are moments, pictures of God's power and his righteous wrath against sin. Now, Why is it so important that Jesus is your propitiation, that he absorbs or pays or takes all the wrath of God for your sin? Why is that so important? Here's why it's important. Because if you understand that the wrath of God is now satisfied, you will understand that your sin was a big deal, number one. And also you will understand that it's not just that God cannot be in the presence of sin and he's around it like, ew, that's like bad odor. Like, ah, sin. I just can't be around sinful people. They just kind of smell bad. And I'm a holy God, and I have to stick my nose up to sinful people that smell. That's not it. Sin is an absolute affront. It is disgusting. It literally spits in his holy, glorious face, his perfect face. That's what sin does. Therefore, it angers him. It's not just that he can't stand it or can't stand the sight of it. It is literally affront. To his glory. Therefore, he has wrath against sin. Now, when you understand that, and you see that Jesus is the propitiation that absorbed all the wrath that was directed at you as a sinful person outside of Christ, and you see that Jesus takes all that wrath on your behalf, what was once destined for you is now taken away from you. Now you understand something fundamentally important. Your sin didn't just stop God from hanging out around you. Your sin completely made it impossible for God and you to have any type of relationship or fellowship. There was no love. When you are acting in sin, you are due wrath, not love. That's a difference in how your fellowship with God looks. But when your propitiation, Jesus, comes along and he absorbs the wrath on your behalf, now fellowship with God is truly possible. Now you actually can have a relationship with this holy God. It restores genuine fellowship. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. Romans 3:22 and 25 say it this way. There is no distinction. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You have to know who Christ is. He's your advocate. He's for you, not against you. Romans 8. You also have to know what he has done and trust what he has done, that he has paid for Every single sin that you've committed and every single ounce of wrath or anger that God had over every single sin that you've committed past, present, and still to come has been paid for by the blood of Christ. That's why it's so key, guys, that you don't move past the cross. You don't get over. This is why the gospel writers spend so much time. You know, Jesus had a 33-year-long life on earth. The Gospels pick up three years of those 33 years and focus on those three years primarily. The majority of what they write about is a focus on the last week of his life because it all led to a moment where he died for you and me and then was risen and now lives to advocate on your behalf that you are his, that you belong to the Lord's, that you are saved, that you're forgiven, that you're cleansed, that you're righteous and holy in God's sight. Man, that's good. That's why the cross is not something we just get to swing past. And that's why I think in 1 John, he spends so much time talking about sin in totally different angles to help you understand that your sin in Christ is paid for. Without Christ, though, the wrath of God still remains on you. That's something that not a lot of people want to talk about, that part of salvation. They just want to talk about you get this relationship with the Lord, but the reality is, is that the wrath of God is removed from you you are in Christ that's truly good news that's why the gospel is good news so as you go through this study with us I hope that you see and remember this is the backdrop this is the way that it all starts this is the foundation we're building this on let's pray God we just um we come before you and we thank you so much for the blood of Christ that has saved us that has redeemed us God, we thank you that you are the advocate on our behalf who helps us. Who reminds us that though we may fall, though sin may come into our lives still, as believers in Christ, we can be forgiven. We are forgiven. And that you continue to advocate for us. That means that you're not disappointed in us. You don't backtrack. You don't second guess the decision to save us. Lord, you know that you fully love us to the uttermost. God, we have so much to be grateful and thankful for that. Father, I pray in the midst of a discussion in, in your word about sin and the reality of it, the reality of your wrath against sin, God, I pray that if there are those in here who have not submitted their life to you and have not confessed, and repented of their sin, and trusted in you for the forgiveness of that sin. Lord, would you lay heavy on their hearts tonight the reality of their relationship with you without Christ? May it force them to be uncomfortable with their life. May it force them to ask questions. May it force them to seek help. May it force them to seek others, to point them to you so that they may know the grace that you provide and the forgiveness that can only be found in you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work mightily and convict hearts, convict our hearts, those of us who are believers. May it encourage us, but also remind us, Lord, to continue pursuing holy lives because you work in our lives for your good and for your glory alone. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.